Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You know what I've missed most about sports since we've been sheltering in place? Just going to a spot and watching a game with friends. It's just not the same watching it at home. Even when the Warriors are winning, I just, it's just not the same. But luckily, the Athletic Club Oakland, they've got our back. Did you know they shut down the entire side street next to them just to create the town gardens? The spot is amazing. It's got TVs everywhere, comfortable seating. It's got their full food and bar service. I mean, this place is dope. I went the other day with Bram and... Officially, it's our go-to spot for all sports, especially the dubs. So hopefully we'll see you there. And as a special thank you, if I see you wearing a Warriors Huddle shirt, next beer is on me. The Athletic Club Oakland, that's where sports fans can finally be sports fans again. What is up, you guys? This is Bram from the Future, and I wanted to give you a heads up on this episode before it even starts. So... It is another Thursday locker room episode. That means it was Wes and I going through a bunch of very fun topics. I think you will enjoy it. Also means no Marcus, no MT, and no amazing sound quality that we're generally used to. All three of those things should return next week with the big show. But this Huddle Road show was enjoyable. And if you'd like to participate with us next week and be one of the people who can ask us questions, go Go download the Locker Room app, search us out at Warriors Huddle, follow us, and then next Thursday at 12, when Wes and I hop back up on there, you can join us and ask us questions. One last but maybe most important thing to point out before we start, I wanted to give a quick shout out to my boy Mark Serrano, who sent us just a badass hand-drawn Warriors poster. I love it. It's up in my office, and for those who want to check out Mark's work, 
work. Go take a look at Twitter. He's at Mark Serrano Shop. You spell Serrano, S-E-R-R-A-N-O. With that in mind, go Warriors. And hopefully you enjoy this one. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. I'm Wes Goldberg, the host of Locked on Warriors, here with Bram Hillsman, the host of Warriors Huddle. Um, in case you people on here don't know who we are and for some reason just stumbled through and wanted to listen to some strangers talk. But um, last night, I see LeBron leave the bench midway through the fourth quarter of this Lakers blowout loss to the Suns. And look, I honestly don't think that much of it in the moment because I'm I'm usually not the person who responds to those kinds of things with outrage or really even cares very much about those sort of things. But I realized very quickly, Bram, that I am the minority in that and that LeBron James walking off to the locker room, even though the Lakers excused it as something that was injury related, uh, became a talking point uh, on debate shows and things like that. What were you am I? I, I realize that I'm often wrong on these things, uh, that they don't really resonate with me as a talking point. But what did you think about that? Well, you're also, Wes, a LeBron apologist. I'm sure you saw that and somehow okay. came up with some bullshit excuse about how it's going to contribute to his legacy, how he was actually super hurt throughout this series, as shown by the fact that he couldn't even stay on the bench. But am I bothered by it? I, of course I am. Man. I mean, he is super hurt through this series. I think that we know that, right? That's not well, apparently. I mean, only because of him. And let me say this as a backdrop. So the excuse that we heard from Vogel and that we've heard immediately since is that it was a medical need. He needed to start his treatment. And those five minutes that he wasn't sitting on the bench were going to help him get ready for a huge game six. So if that's true, right, let's get an orthopedic specialist. Let's get somebody in here who can explain how those five minutes made a difference for the Lakers winning. Well, shit, if that's true, then it is what it is. I respect it. Do I believe that? No, Wes. No, I do not, man. I, I think that he could have gotten that five minutes of treatment on the plane, on the bus, at any point between games five and six. So if your question to me is, should the supposed greatest player on earth have an obligation to sit on the bench until the end of the game? Hell yes. It sounds like we're going to talk about Naomi Osaka. What did she do? Well, she was down to stay for the entire tennis match, right? She just didn't want to speak about it afterwards. Well, if we're giving her any crap about a lack of press availability, then we certainly have to give LeBron crap for not actually staying on the bench. And here, I'll give you a stupid analogy. Um, I am an attorney, Wes, and occasionally I go to trial. Those trials last multiple days. Not all of them go well. Some of them go well. Some of them don't. And what happens is I got to stay at counsel table. You know, that the jury's watching both of us. I'm at my table, my opponent's at the other table, and there are days I'm getting my ass kicked and I've got a bunch of shit I got to get done the next day. You know what I've never done, nor would I ever do? Get up. Just get up and leave. Allow whoever was at that table to take the loss while I went and justifiably prepared for the next day. So look, is it going to impact his long-term legacy? Nah, you know, it's, it's the legacy that's allowing us to take this shot. You know, if, if it's somebody without his celebrity, we don't really care. But if you're the greatest player in the league currently, then yeah, we're going to look at this and we're going to throw some rocks. I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I just don't care that much about it at all. There's five minutes left in the game of a blowout loss. If it's unsportsmanlike, then for then okay, it's unsportsmanlike, and I don't really care. 
And honestly, if you want to get up five minutes before your trial and you're getting your ass kicked in that trial, get up. I don't care, Bram. Be my guest. If you were my attorney in that situation, like, dude, this is lost. Go hang out. Do your okay. get ready Wait, for your next one. When no way. If you're my client, we're getting my ass kicked, <laughs> and I get up and bounce on. I in uh, in seventh grade, I played for Montero Junior High. I remember this because we went to the Guy Hart tournament. For me, it was the the NC two A first game. We got our asses kicked. Was asses kicked. We were down twenty. And my, my coach literally got up and left us on the bench, really did. Um, and I remember that now, years and years and years later. Is it justified? I say no. It is, it is not justified. Who, who and is I, LeBron James in that analogy? You were the coach. Well, in this instance, I'm just saying if I got up at council table and you were stuck there, you would be very upset. The, the I, connection- I guess I would be Alex Caruso in that circumstance. Yeah, there you go. Right? He, I don't know if his teammates were upset, um, but do I think he has an obligation to stay until the game is over? I do. And you're saying no? I mean, like, at what point is it okay no, he for does. him to leave? He does have an obligation to stay. I'm not saying he doesn't have an obligation to stay. I'm just saying that's not the obligation that I care about. And, maybe, and you're, you're right. Maybe I'm going to sound like a hypocrite when we start talking about Na- Naomi Osaka. Um, look, I, I recognize that what LeBron did – was kind of wrong even seems like a really strong word to me to use here but it it was it was unsportsmanlike it rubs people the wrong way I get it I'm fine with it whatever uh I just I I guess I'm just a little surprised by how much of a thing it has become but you're probably right it's because he is LeBron right if it was Alex Caruso who got up five minutes into left in the fourth quarter we probably don't even notice that he's gone but with LeBron you do that's exactly right. And and to be fair, do you remember that time Steph got up and left his teammates? Me neither, Wes, <laughs> because it never happened, buddy, and will never happen. Are you enjoying these both of these LA teams being a game away from elimination? I'm Let just... me rephrase that. How much are you enjoying <laughs> these LA teams being on the brink of elimination? I, I wish I had like some sound effects. I would have had like champagne bottles popping right now so that we could bask in it. Um, it took me a while to shake off my Warriors hangover. Uh, so I wasn't paying as much attention as I wanted to for the first few games. But this last one, that game five Astro, I mean, oh, man, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I found myself standing and cheering as if I was a Suns fan. And then because of the whole Paul George stuff, the stuff we started talking about last week, I feel like I got a dog in the fight for the Clippers-Dallas matchup. And I really want to see the Clips collapse. I mean, I don't know if I definitely do that Paul George trade we talked about. But the more options the Warriors have going into the offseason, the better. man. you know, the more players they can kind of peruse, the more excited I am. And if the Clips fall apart, you know, those are some other options. Are you out on getting LeBron James now that he's left the bench? Yeah, I, I mean, no loyalty, dude. Absolutely. Just that. If you wanted to play for us, maybe for a veteran minimum. you know. And I know Draymond doesn't like us talking about uh, what players should get paid. But now if he wants to come here for the vet minimum, sure. I could, I could be on board for that. Draymond doesn't like us talking about what players should get paid? I heard. Um, who was it who went up? Bob Fitzgerald. Fitz went out of his way to say that, and I, it may have been – Kent Bazemore, but Fitzgerald said if this player would come back for the veteran minimum, it sounds like a hell of a deal for the Warriors. And Draymond immediately got in a soapbox and said, why is it up to Fitzgerald to dictate what people should be paid? If I came out and said Bob should get less than minimum wage, me as an athlete would get roasted. So I I always pay attention. And I have a, I want to say love, hate, probably more just hate, hate with uh with Fitz so it, it kind of stuck out to me 
Um, I like Draymond Green a lot, and I like him as a speaker. I think he's maybe the most talented analyst that is that is a, a player or a former player that is going right now. Uh, what he's doing on TNT is awesome, but that was an awful comparison by Draymond Green. That is not even close to being the same thing. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take that bait and use it as a perfect transition. So Draymond is on TNT right now. Last night, they asked him about the Wizards and when he was talking about what they should do going forward because they've got a decision to make on Russ. He drew out two very distinct possibilities. And again, he's talking about Washington, but it, you know, it doesn't take a, a long stretch to apply what he's saying to Golden State. What he said is, look, make a, make a decision. You guys want to build around Russ and around Beal? Well, it's not draft picks. You cannot put draft picks around two all-stars and then expect success vice versa that's not what's happening you're building for the future fine you know then then you look towards that other way and again he was talking about the wizards but i mean for very obvious reasons it applies right now to the warriors if they go into next year and they hold on to wiseman by and i'm stealing this point from you because he didn't get enough experience last year really what they are doing is surrounding Two all-stars, three all-stars, hopefully, if, if uh, Clay gets back to where we think he will with draft picks. And now we know that Draymond isn't on board for that. So I, that very interesting take. His exact quote was, getting draft picks and placing them next to two all-stars, that don't work. Um, there's Obviously, he was not talking at all about the Warriors brand because they only have one all-star. <laughs> Fair enough. The, the concept of surrounding <laughs> veteran talent. Also, I'm a little embarrassed that you had the quote there. I felt like so prepared and kind of badass. I was like, oh, look at this off the cuff. And then meanwhile, you have the actual verbatim. I was not prepared. I pulled it up on my phone while you were talking. Um, <laughs> so if anything, you gave me the assist there. Uh, of course, he was talking about the Warriors. Of course, that was a shot <laughs> at the front office. How is that? How does anybody think that that was? Draymond Green is a very smart person. He understands exactly what it is that he is doing and, and saying that. And you don't, and everything we know with TNT, it's not, it's not prepared line for line, but they, when it comes to those takes that they know are going to go viral, that stuff is prepared. I think uh, the ringer did an excellent piece that was uh, about Shaquille O'Neal and Draymond Green has been in Shaq's place right now. Uh, but they basically say, Hey, what kind of takes do you have? What do you think can go viral? It's not always all prepared, but some of it is. I don't know if this one was uh, prepared or not. All I know is that Draymond Green was 100% talking about the Warriors, and I don't think that there's any room for gray area, and there's not even much reading between the lines here. Like, that's it. He was talking from his experience. So even if it wasn't like a direct ultimatum at the Warriors, right, saying, hey, don't draft rookies again, please, uh, he was talking from experience and saying, hey, this thing we did last year didn't work with James Wiseman. Uh, so... The, the front office has to hear that loud and clear. How, so I heard everything you just said, and I want to turn this into an aggregate quote. So the, again, this is only repetitious, but I want to get an assist on it, right? So as somebody who has covered the front office, as somebody who has spoken directly to Draymond Green, as someone who has watched how TNT works, when you hear that quote, is there any question in your mind absolutely that Draymond was directing it towards Bob Myers in the front office. There's no question in my mind. As soon as I hear it, I it's like that's that's for the Warriors to hear. And by the way, 
I think the Warriors have probably already heard that from right. Draymond Green in private. I don't think that the Warriors heard that and they're like, what? I am shocked by how Draymond <laughs> Green feels right now. Like, I, I think that he's had that conversation already and that there's probably an understanding. And by the way, listen to what Bob Myers said in the exit interviews. Listen to what Steve Kerr has said in those exit interviews. There's a rec- they, they recognize that they need veterans, right? And it doesn't mean that it do- I, I still believe that the Warriors will use will be comfortable using these draft picks depending on what else is available. Would they like to trade one or two of these picks if they get both of them for immediate contributors? Yes, but only if that contributor is good enough to warrant punting on some of that long-term potential that they can otherwise get in the draft. Uh, but if that player, if that deal does not materialize, I think that they are comfortable going ahead and just using the picks and being like, look, man, sorry, Draymond, uh, there was nothing better available. We're going we're gonna to roll you out there with, Davion Mitchell and whoever else that we can get at six, seven, eight, and fourteen or whatever that is. Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes isn't bad. You hear the rain yet? <laughs> That's rain. Do you hear the rain in the background here? I do not. Whoa. Okay, no, no, very no. good. That makes me feel much better about California and how much uh, I pay to live here uh, as far as trade targets. And also in the interest of making me seem more prepared. I'm now on a mission, Wes. And I heard you. You looked it up while I was talking. I'm now on a mission to come off as more prepared than you. Even if I'm going to ultimately fail, that's what I would like this uh, this episode to reflect. So to get that going, I actually, man, have some names here for you. Uh, some some possible trade targets. I'm going to hedge this or at least say it. All of these include Wiseman. In fact, okay. my notes here say Wiseman trade. And you and I have said it a thousand times. It's not that we do not believe in Wiseman. It's not that we don't think that his ceiling is remarkably high. But at this stage, look, I'm, I'm standing on Draymond's shoulders. I just heard him tell the front office on TNT they need to make a move. So here is some possible names for well, you. Well, first, first, are there Indiana Pacers players involved in these at all? Because you know my stance on this. So know that I was going to go through my first four, just only Indiana Pacers trades, just as kind <laughs> of like an FU to you. But like none of the names are that exciting, and I feel like the inside joke might fall kind of flat. So unfortunately, no, there are no – Pacers on here, but I do have a Chicago Bull. So here's my first name. Nikolai Vucevic, 6'11", 260-pound, 30-year-old center. He averaged about 23 points per game last year, 11.7 rebounds per game, which is fifth in the league, by the way. About four assists, and he shot at 40% from three over 33 and a half minutes. So he could contribute, right? Here's my trade. You give up Wiseman, sign and trade with Oubre. You give up the Minnesota pick. And you give up a pick swap in either 2022 and you get back Vucevic. Here's what the lineup looks like, Wes, before you tell me yes or no. Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and Vucevic to close out a game. Why do I think Chicago might? Here's what they gave up to bring in Vucevic. Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and two first-round picks. If they've decided that this new pairing isn't really working out, and they want to you know, try to have future assets, they are getting two better players than Wendell Carter Jr. or Otto Porter Jr. And possibly two better picks across the board, right, in the Minnesota pick and that pick swap. So what do you think? Um, take, give me from a, from a Warriors perspective. If Chicago called them, you're Bob Myers, they offer Vooch on this deal. Are you listening, hanging up? Where, where do you stand? I'm listening. Um, I don't, I like the fit. I think Nikola Vucevic, specifically his passing, I think would be a really nice fit in the Warriors offense. Defensively, 
I have some concerns in the playoffs with what he can do because um, he was kind of played off the floor last year when he was with the Magic, and, and they ended up in the postseason. But really good shooter, could space the floor, does all the things that they're looking for. I mean, they have come out and said they want a floor spacing big. That's him. Um, a very good rebounder, can put up points. My only concern is that he might, in a lineup like that, he just needs the ball so much. Yep. But I guess with a guy like Draymond, who doesn't really shoot all that much, he's really your point guard. Steph, obviously, is Steph. Clay Thompson isn't going to be playmaking a whole lot. He's more of a catch and shoot guy. And Andrew Wiggins needs the ball a little bit, but you know, only he's only putting up 15 shots per game. So I don't know. Maybe it works. Um, I don't know that I would want to move. The only thing is the opportunity cost. If you're moving Wiseman, this pick, and a future first rounder, that kind of locks you in. And and you're basically saying, hey, with Vucevic, we're a title contending team. Yep. And I don't know that that's so. And so I would be I would be a little wary to pull the trigger on that. Just understanding, all right, if we do this, we have no ammo if a superstar does become available. And Nikola sure. Vucevic is a fringe all star, but very far from a superstar. And I mean, the the other side to making all title windows match is the impact on Lakeup, possibly. Right. One of the reasons I think that they don't necessarily want to give up on Wiseman is that Lakeup's really worried about putting asses in seats once Steph's window closes. You bring in somebody like Vucevic, who's 30, you know, chances are in three, four years, once this window is closed, there's nobody there. There's no reason to pay the astronomical prices of Chaser. Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, if I am Myers, this is one of those deals where, like, I'm not immediately saying yes. You know, I'm letting you finish your sentence before I fire off an accept. But I'm also not hanging up. You know, like, like this guy's name is is really attracting me. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the passing. You know, I, I believe in Wiseman's future. I think he's going to develop in almost all aspects that the Warriors need him. But I don't know if he can pass. You know, I, I yeah. really don't know if he has that. And that's a problem mm-hmm. because at least right now, Kerr's system demands that you have that skill set. Yeah, um, I think if Wiseman develops in the way that you're talking about, where, the, hey, that pick-and-pop thing is a real threat, he's shooting 40% from three or something like that, where he's a lob threat, where he's setting great screens defensively, he's holding his own, and he's getting out there and switching, kind of like Clint Capella out there uh, as a defender. If he kind of hits those marks, then Steve Kerr changes the offense, and you're not asking him to pass so much. And, and I think Kevin – and and. James Wiseman sort of is less Zaza Pachulia and is almost more Kevin Durant in the offense where when we need a bucket, we go to him kind of thing. Sure. Um, and so maybe that's, but, but that's now you're asking, okay, how far away is Wiseman from hitting those marks? How far away is he from becoming a go-to option on offense? I think he's pretty far away. And so can James Wiseman carve out some sort of role in the meantime? That's the biggest question they have facing him. Let me give you another name. Um, and this one, so Vucevic, we've heard before. This one, I'm kind of surprised we haven't. I'm proud of myself for pulling it out. And be gentle if you don't like it. I mean, even if you think it's shitty, I want you to say, oh, my God. Like, you've, you've done your research, Bram. I mean, give me some props before you throw it out, all right? The name is Christian Wood, 6'10", 240-pound, 25, again, only 25-year-old center, Playing out of Houston last year, he missed a lot of games. He only played 41, but in the games he played in, averaged 21, 9.6, and 1.7 assists. Shot at over 37% uh, from three after playing 32 minutes a game. And the Warriors wouldn't have to give up that much. Christian is only earning about 14 mil a year. 
So in this trade, it's only Wiseman, Damian Lee, and Bazemore, giving them a lineup of Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and Christian Wood. And you could still theoretically, if they signed him, have Ubre off the bench. What do you think? I love the trade. It's one hey. of those classic who says no type of deals where if you're the Warriors and Houston calls with this, you're like, we kind of have to do this, don't we? Right. And if you're the Rockets who acquired Christian Wood thinking that James Harden would still be around, right? Yep. If you're the Rockets and you're in this rebuilding phase, you're going to end up presumably with one of these top three to five picks in this draft. Do you want to pair that player with a center with James Wiseman's potential? Hold on for a second. And, and I would say yes. Like if you're the Rockets and Bob Myers calls saying, hey, we'll give you Wiseman and some filler salary for Christian Wood straight up, basically. If you're the Rockets, you kind of have to say yes, don't you? Like, I, as I much think as you so. might believe in Christian Wood, 25 is very different than 20, right? And Christian Wood is good now, but I don't think that he has the upside that James Wiseman has. And, and like I said, you know, you're you're the Rockets. There's an opportunity where you can get the number one pick, end up with Cade Cunningham and James Wiseman. That's a pretty good core. And all the other stuff that you got from the, the Russell Westbrook trade and all that other thing, uh, the, and those other things, the, the James Harden trade, obviously, that's not a bad duo to build around. And the additional cap space that dropping wood would give you, right? I mean, because Wiseman's making, you know, well, I guess not significantly less money, but less money. Give me the Warriors take. Because so here's my fear on it. Tell me why I'm either right or wrong. Christian Wood strikes me as Ubre. Here's what I mean. You know, not not their skill sets don't match up similarly. I think Wood would really help us. But he hasn't had that shot to show everybody how good he is. He thought it was going to be here in Houston, right? He he'd spent five years on the fringes, didn't really do anything, had one big year in Detroit, parlayed that into a real contract for Houston, but then didn't really get to play. And, and Houston's was a throwaway series. I would be worried that the same way Ubre, at least in the beginning, came here and kind of wanted to be a soloist, you know, kind of wanted to show everybody, no, 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 you don't know how good I am before fitting in. I would be worried that if Wood came here, even though he has the exact skill set we need to kind of fit in, that he might be doing the Ubre thing, you know, that, that he would be more interested in showing the world his his own individual skills. Any truth to that? I mean, like, how am I just making that up? I don't know. I don't know Christian Wood well enough, but I do know that whatever success he had, I mean, you mentioned he had success for one year in Detroit. It was kind of just half a year. It wasn't even a full season. And even with the Rockets, he only played 40-something games, 41 games. Um, Houston was, first of all, Houston was very bad this season, but they were, they did outscore their opponents by six and a half points per 100 possessions with Christian Wood on the floor, which is pretty dramatic considering that they sucked. So for them to outscore anybody with anybody on the floor is pretty remarkable. Um, so uh, and defensively, I, I I don't know what to think of him. He's kind of got a little bit of a Hassan White side to his game, where he likes to chase blocks and stuff like that, which is rubs me the wrong way, and it kind of gives me a little bit of PTSD. But uh, <laughs> I, I I he's a better fit right now, and he could play and he could score. Yep. And if you believe in him uh, enough defensively, just as a guy who's 6'10", 214 pounds, he's not as big as James, uh, as James Wiseman, but he's certainly uh, a little bit more well-rounded right now than James Wiseman is. I don't know. I think if you're Houston, you'd have to do it. If you were the Warriors, 
you'd have to think long and hard about what you think. You, you would have to consult your pro scouting department and say, what do we think of Christian Wood? Do we think this, this guy could be an all-star for us? And if the answer is yes, then I think you have to do it. If the answer is no, then I don't think you can do it. I mean, what we need, and it's impossible because it's both uh, completely fake and from a late 80s movie, but we need the big machine. Do you remember that movie, The Big with Tom Hanks, a little kid named Josh Baskin? finds his way into a carnival, spends like a quarter, wishes to be big, wakes up the next day, I don't know, 20 years older. Uh, I believe in Wiseman. What we need for him is a big machine. You know, We need for him to go to something and then suddenly become who he's going to become overnight because yeah. I believe in his ability to participate and, and contribute towards a finals, right, You know, if, if he got there. But the fact is there are no big machines, which is the only reason – why we're considering these trades. Um, here's a fake one. No team would actually consider it. But I still want your take on it because it, it kind of resets the clock, right? So if Charlotte called, again, they wouldn't. If Charlotte called and offered the Warriors LaMelo Ball straight up for Wiseman, would you say yes? Yeah. <sighs> why? Because Kevon Looney has proven that he can be the starting center on this team, and you don't need that player anymore. Uh, you can get Kevon Looney and start you know, or assign two other centers and just start to do your bullpen of centers program that they did to five straight finals appearances. And then you get LaMelo Ball, who can be exactly what you need. It, look, that three-point shot is much better than anybody anticipated. He's finishing yep. at the rim much better than anybody anticipated. And the dude can pass, and he defends better than anybody anticipated. So, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat, 100%. How- how much fun would it have been had he been there? I mean, so the Warriors were two different teams this year. Um, and we didn't really see the successful Warriors until Wiseman went down and they got to embrace Kerr's system. It's not a shot at Wiseman. He just didn't fit in yet. How fun would that Warriors team have been in those back, you know, whatever it was, like six weeks or five weeks, if LaMelo had been a part of it? Because the one skill set he absolutely can contribute immediately, passing, would have just made this team better. It would have been mm-hmm. uh, it would have been a lot of fun to watch him develop. It, it, it's why I was pining for Tyrese Halliburton when the Warriors were drafting, and I thought that they should have done everything that they could to trade down and grab Halliburton at four or five or something like that. Because everything that Lamelo Ball is, we that we didn't think he would be, Tyrese Halliburton we knew would be, and then was. If that made any sense. Um, a guy who can shoot, can defend at a high level, multiple positions, and and is a next level passer. And I thought that he would have been an ideal and just and ready to contribute right away in a way that we didn't think Lamelo Ball wasn't, but apparently he was. I don't know that Lamelo would have done, by the way, the same thing he did in Charlotte if he were with the Warriors coming off the bench in perpetuity. I don't know that that would have been the case, or even sure. if he were starting next to um, Steph Curry. Like I don't, I don't know what they would have done. Right, I don't. I don't. They probably still make the Kelly Oubre trade and then bring Lamelo off the bench, and then they just don't sad, sign Brad Wanamaker, I suppose. Which I don't think would have hurt them all that bad. Call me crazy. No, no, but, you don't uh, think that not having Wanamaker would have really set us back? No, uh, I got one name for you, Bram. Those are all your names, right? I, I got one more concept, and I'm more excited for your name. Give it to me. I brought it up on my podcast earlier this week, but Pascal Siakam, yeah, is. When when we look at realistic trade targets, I'm not saying that Siakam is on the trade block. All I'm saying is if you're Toronto and you're Masai Ujiri and Bob Myers calls and says, let's build a package that includes James Wiseman uh, or 
let's build a package that includes, depending on how the lottery shakes out on the 22nd, if the Warriors end up with one of the top four or five picks in this draft, we will we will give you one of the top we'll give you that top pick, a top five pick in a draft with five franchise changing caliber players. Uh and Andrew Wiggins. So let's call it that. Let's do the first the first uh concept of this deal. A top five pick and Andrew Wiggins for salary matching purposes for Pascal Siakam. What do you think? I do it in a heartbeat. Um, I think I, I think Toronto does too, by the way. Because of Maple Jordan's connections to Toronto, what's what's the upside? Is it essentially that they're getting to start over? They recognize yep. that that yeah that that roster isn't going anywhere, and now they're getting that that Siakam is a very good player, but he's a fringe All Star kind of player, and that he's not good enough to be the best player on a title team. And right now, you're sort of locked into this just sort of fringe playoff team with Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, and Kyle Lowry is probably going to walk away as a free agent this off season. And Toronto is not in the business of tanking, right? We know this about them. So the only way to sort of end up with a draft pick where you could get one of these top five guys in what is considered a very top-heavy draft uh, is to sort of make a trade for it. And so if you take a step back by trading Siakam now in order to take a step forward and get your fr- the next face of your franchise, I think if you're the Raptors, you absolutely have to consider it. I think you absolutely have to consider that. I don't know that they do. By the way, and I think if the Warriors end up with the fourth pick, for example, I think they would do that. If Siakam, that's exactly the kind of player that they would pull the trigger on a trade for is the is a Pascal Siakam type, who's I think he's twenty six years old. Uh, like I said, already very productive, already proven. He's twenty seven, no big deal. Also, I'm better. I'm yeah. very clearly much better. Prepared much, here. much it's weird better. that you didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm ashamed <laughs> of myself. Um, <laughs> I I think that is a phenomenal suggestion. Um, and Siakam, a little bit like Wood, kind of solves two problems in a way that Vucevic doesn't. He, he both complements Steph's championship window and then is young enough where you can make the pitch to Myers or to Lakeup saying, you know, his, his career is going to stretch beyond Steph. And as a reason, you could put asses in seeds, which brings you James Wiseman. Well, OK, and because you don't have to give up. Oh, that's that's exactly right. Um, Front and, quarter of the future. This full circle. All right. I'm going to bring it back to Draymond. Put on your Myers hat. Pretend you are Bob Myers. You are watching the playoffs. Of course you are. You're watching last night. The TNT thing comes on. You watch Draymond say what you and I have been talking about. How do you enter the offseason? I mean, you're not going to say it out loud, but do you enter it thinking, all right, I've got to. I have to. Like whoever it is, you know, here's a list of guys. I got to get one of these guys. If it's if it's Wood, if it's Siakam, if it's Vucevic, if it's whomever. Or do you still kind of handle it? Let's see. You know, if a big name comes, great. But if not, I don't care what Draymond said. You know, we'll just go into next year and figure it out. Um, I think that if Bob Myers is basing his offseason strategy on something that Draymond Green said on national television, that uh, <laughs> the Warriors have much bigger problems. <laughs> but uh, I'm ta- I'll take your, I'll take your uh, hypothetical and run with it, I suppose. But uh, look, I think that the way Bob Myers is going to go about it is probably the right way, that you can't just make – blanket statements that, hey, we are going to trade these picks for immediate contributors. Because if that immediate contributor is Jordan Clarkson, it's probably not worth it, right? But if that immediate contributor is somebody like Siakam or maybe even a notch below Siakam, then it probably is worth it. Sure. Also, we don't know what where the pick is going to land just yet. We don't know what players will be there. And I think Bob Myers kept saying something last year that you don't have to make a decision until you're actually on the clock. And I think that that's going to be very much what the Warriors do this year. That said, 
I would be a lot more aggressive and I would cast a much wider net than I did last year with the second overall pick uh, in order to try to make a deal. Like this whole, I thought they were pretty stubborn last year because they really did think that whoever they took at number two was going to be able to help right away. And I think they took for granted how difficult it is to bring along a 19 or a 20 year old uh, and have that player be ready to contribute meaningfully in a significant way uh, to a winning team. I think they learned from that and that they'd be willing to maybe sell a little bit lower on these picks, not only because they're not going to land at number two, but also because there's a recognition that, hey, if we did our job, we have our the, the future face of the franchise and James Wiseman. Now let's and what Steph Curry showed us over the last two months of the year, we need to go and what Draymond Green, by the way, showed us over the last month of the year, that and Clay Thompson coming back, it's time to push the chips into the middle of the table. Yep. Um, so I think they'll be and ought to be a lot more aggressive than they were last year because to me they did not strike me as aggressive last season. And I hope that they focus on skill set need, not positional need. I mean, I was screaming from yes. every soapbox I could find, take Wiseman because they need a center. And they, you know, and they did. They needed size. But what they needed was a center who could play in Kerr's system. And I'm not sure they immediately found one. Here's a random question. Um, but so, yeah, June 22nd, right, is when we're going to find out what pick they have. And it's going to make a huge difference for all the reasons you've already put out there. How superstitious are you? Because I'm one of those dudes who, like, come June 22nd, I'm going to be wearing a shirt that I'm positive is going to give us good luck. I'll have, like, you know, like my fake championship ring on. I'll be doing, like, all the weird things. When I have to decide whether or not to, like, let my daughter in the left or right-hand side of the car, I'll think that will somehow impact what pick the Warriors get. For you, do you have any of those neuroses? Oh, 100%. I I I held the same Miami Dolphins football, like like youth football sized football, for eleven straight years. Every Sunday, watching the Dolphins, thinking that this was the key to them winning. And if I didn't put if I put the ball down, that the Dolphins would lose. It turned out the Dolphins lost anyway because they, they were on that football. <laughs> I didn't even, but I didn't even recognize that until year eleven. I was like, maybe it's the football's fault. <laughs> so then I stopped. So I threw the football away. And it didn't help at all. The Dolphins still sucked. Uh, and that said, even after that, like, full, like just steel-proof uh, experiment, right? Like, uh, I think uh, I still believe in superstitions. I think uh, in 2012, the first of the big three championships with the Heat, I wore the same uh, undershirt for like two weeks throughout the finals. So in my version of events, I'm secretly the most important person in the world of sports. You know, if I take somebody in my fantasy team and they get hurt, I feel like it's impacting only my season. Well, here's the thing, Brandon. Here's the thing. We don't, you and I don't know if superstitions work or not, but it would be selfish for us not to at least participate in the off chance that it does work. Like I hate the Warriors. Of course, that's exactly right. We can do what we can do. Owe it to the rest of Warriors fans to hang on to whatever superstitions you believe may or may not be working. Because God forbid if the superstition did work and you didn't wear the right T-shirt on June 22nd and the Warriors ended up, instead of having the fourth pick with just sitting there at 14 like a bunch of losers, then it was your fault, right? Or we can't, we can at least not – we can't prove that it wasn't your fault. I will be holding a Miami uh, junior football come June 22nd. I cannot wait. 
<laughs> um, can we talk about this Naomi, Naomi Osaka thing a little bit? Yeah, of course. I mean, and it's your opinion that's really going to drive this, man. As a, yeah. as a sports reporter, I'm anxious to see if you're supporting this or if you're pissed about it or or what. So I don't – my first reaction – I've been thinking about this for a few days now. My first reaction was I don't get it. Uh, you are a world-class tennis player who in, a, in, in an individual sport that is so mentally grueling, in addition to being physically grueling and taxing and demanding, that the idea that you can't talk to a few reporters after a match, but you do have the mental wherewithal to be the best tennis player in the world, I, didn't, I just didn't get it. But she is much younger than you or I. She's of a different generation, a generation that grew up on social media and, and Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter and and just seems overall to be a, a lot more sensitive than your generation or my generation. And so I'm not going to – I just don't want to get into the whole I don't believe in your mental health issues or questioning those things. That's not my domain, sure. and I don't, I'm not all that interested in entering it. Uh, but I just, I'm just saying that in, in full transparency and being honest with you, I didn't get it. I just, I didn't get it. Those were not the athletes that I grew up with. Right. Like I grew up with Tiger Woods, which in a similar sport, because it's an individual sport, uh, never liked talking to the press, but did it anyway. And I grew up with Ricky Williams who never liked, I feel like I, Ricky Williams comes up on a lot of our, our podcasts. Uh, um, and he probably just comes up in day to day conversation too much in my, in my world, but uh, Ricky Williams didn't like doing the press stuff. He tried it. He famously wore a helmet with a visor to a press conference. And then once he was over with, over it, he just quit. He retired. He's like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. So he put the money down. He put the fame down and walked away. And that was his response. Naomi Osaka didn't want to entertain uh, any sort of alternative ways to engage with the media, saying, that, hey, I've got Instagram. I've got Twitter and all these things. But, I mean – the person I know who watches the most tennis in my life is my 92-year-old grandpa. He does not have Instagram. He is not getting Naomi, Naomi Osaka quotes via social media. He just got an iPhone brand like two years ago, and I don't know that he uses it. I think it just sits in his room, and I don't, even, I don't think he knows where it is at this point. So, um, so whatever. That's a problem. My biggest issue, not and recognize that I don't get it in the first place, but you know, it's a different generation. It is what it is, I suppose. Uh, my biggest issue was the coverage of it. And here's what I'm interested in is that afterwards you've got people talking, you've got LeBron's uninterrupted thing saying, should, should athletes have to talk to the press after games? And then you've got guys like Steph Curry coming out in support of Naomi and saying that, you know, she's being strong by doing this, all this stuff. And then uh, the conversation just veered into this whole other thing of whether or not athletes should be required to do post-game and post-match media availability. And to me, this is just the same thing as the Colin Kaepernick thing, but just two different woke sides, if we want to say it. Like with Kaepernick, the, the whole conversation was never about what Kaepernick was talking about at all when he kneeled for the flag, right? It became about this military thing and police stuff, and it was just nothing what he was talking about. With this, What Naomi was doing was taking a stance that she believed she needed to do in order to preserve her mental health. And the conversation we get out of that action is, should athletes have to do media post-game or post-match, which was not the conversation she was trying to have and is now sort of belittling her mental health stance and all the things that she was trying to do for herself. 
And and I just don't like where the conversation has, shif- has shifted at all. And and maybe I'm a little biased because I am media, but I don't want to live in a world where every athlete gets to control his or her message via their own social media platform. I don't want to live in a world where LeBron James gets to sit in a barbershop that's sponsored by HBO and whatever and Beats and whatever the hell else it's sponsored by and just monologue by himself without being asked any pressing questions. And look, I don't think that the media does a great job all the time. I'm in a lot of these post-game press conferences and I cringe. I want to hide under a table at some of these dumb questions that these athletes and coaches have to field and, and answer. But I would rather live in that world where it's not a controlled situation. It's not a controlled environment. And they are at least, there is an opportunity to hold these people accountable for things that people want to know on Twitter, right? If you're questioning why Steve Kerr didn't call a timeout with 15 seconds left in a game, do you want to live in a world where reporters don't have to ask him that question? Or would you rather just shout into the void of Twitter and complain until you forget about it? Maybe the answer is the latter. I don't know anymore with this new generation. But it just seems to me that people look at this media stuff as annoying and unnecessary, where, in fact, it is the very thing that these millionaire athletes get paid for. Because if it was just for the love of the game, if all they wanted to do was play basketball or play tennis, then they can go go to the YMCA and do it for free. The reason you get paid all this money is because you have to perform in front of fans and perform under the limelight and and under the microscope of public opinion. And, and and so if you get rid of the post-game and post-match media stuff, you don't have that anymore. And you are cutting off a very important and the most pure way of fans interacting with these athletes. You've hit, I think, the most important distinction in this. And what I would like is the sporting leagues, the, the French Opens of the world, the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, whomever it is when they're making these policies to decide what is it that professional athletes in their sport have to do, right? Accommodation, Wes, for mental disability or any disability. That's part of job. Um, If I'm afraid of swimming and I become an accountant, these guys cannot force me to swim, right? It's not part Mm -hmm. of the job. I can can tell them my job's not going to include that. If I have a fear of swimming and I want to become a lifeguard, well, nope, not going to fly. Lifeguard can tell me you cannot have this job. It's part of it. So I'd like the leagues to decide what do you want out of these guys or girls, right? Is what's most important to the French Open? Is it having Naomi play tennis and you get into film it and, and having, uh, uh, you know, commercials that accompany it? Well, she was willing to do that. Is it having Naomi play tennis and then talk about it afterwards? Because that helps you sell it and, and helps complete the full picture. Whatever it is that they think this job requires, they need to define. Once it's been defined, well, now it's up to the athletes, right? If, if mm-hmm. the French Open does want to say going forward, it, it's not just your tennis skill we're interested in. If you would like to play for us, we want your tennis skill and your speaking skill. Then players get to make that decision, right? If, if they say, no, all we want is your tennis skill, then they get to make that too. Um, so and right I, now I, they do ask for that, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they I thought Rafael yeah. Nadal, what he said was, was very poignant. Like, hey, I, I – I support Naomi for making this decision, but we can't make this a blanket thing for all tennis players because it's part of the job. It's part of the obligation. It's why Naomi Osaka got fined $15,000 for sitting out. And by the way, the tennis got a bunch of crap for, for finding Naomi Osaka. That's the rule. Those are the rules. 
And if you're Naomi Osaka and you made seven million, seventy, sorry, seventy million dollars last year, then you can afford fifteen grand, and you can just write that off as, hey, this is me paying for my mental health, just like somebody else might pay for a therapy session or pay for medication of some kind. She has the means and the luxury to say, you know what, I don't want to do this, and I will just take the fifteen thousand dollar fine every single time because I am paying it forward for my mental health. And if she wants to make that decision, great. But tennis should absolutely keep finding her because it is a tennis player's obligation to uh, be involved in these sort of things. Sure. Well, and, and the interesting thing about this, I mean, this is where capitalism will force either people to make a decision because the other side to this is there's probably people who came out of pocket. You know, I'm, I'm not a big tennis guy myself, but I'm sure that there are huge tennis fans. I'm sure amongst those tennis fans, there are people who come out of pocket, travel all the way to where, you know, to, to France, watch this thing principally to watch Naomi. That's why they were there. And now, you know, she's, she's not a part of it. And there's a chance that the French Open is going to lose money going forward. If, if everybody now knows, all right, Naomi's not going to be a part of this for as long as they force her to talk, it's possible the French Open will decide, all right, nope, you know, we're dropping those fans or those fines because we, we need you. We need you here as a draw. But it's, it'll be interesting to see how it plays yeah. out. And as I mean, you you not only do this, you do it well. It, you you talked about how you know press conference is going to have terrible questions. You and I shared a Zoom press conference where, in a pretty tense Warriors time, a random guy asked Kerr about the 49ers draft pick. So yes, dude, terrible questions happen, right? But as someone who takes his job seriously and and does it the right way, do you think athletes should have the obligation to show up and answer your questions? Yes, and it's something that Kawhi Leonard doesn't get. Kyrie Irving doesn't get it. Kevin Durant doesn't get it. I, I say this over and over again. Um, you're an athlete. You're paid not to like – Kevin Durant thinks that he's paid to play basketball. Kevin Durant is not paid to play basketball. Yep. Kevin Durant is paid to play basketball for cameras and in front of fans. And I don't mean to dehumanize them because I know that's been a talking point here. That's not. I get – Dude, I love talking about sports. I get paid to do it in front of people and get comments in my Twitter account. Now, I don't mean to compare myself. You know what? I do. It's the same kind of thing. <laughs> if you want to just do it for the love of the game, just the purity of the sport, whatever, then go ahead. Play at your YMCA, and you could be the best basketball player that ever lived in your city or whatever. But you are. this is part of the fame. This is part of the, the interacting with fans and, and media, you know, when you're talking to media, you're not just talking to the media. And that's what I don't think a lot of these athletes fully get is they, they view not. And I say they very generally, there are some who, who understand like Steph Curry gets it, you know, LeBron James, they get it. There's a reason why, by the way, they have, they are the two biggest stars in the NBA and it's not close, right? Cause they get it. They understand the entertainment aspect. They understand that they do it for the fans. That's all. That's the, that's who I'm defending here. Not the media. Of course, well, we know the fans for having that medium, right? Of the media being able, I, I go back to this analogy. If you have, if you are on Twitter screaming, which is this generation who is largely defending Naomi Osaka and attacking me in our comments right here in locker room. Um, if you are screaming on Twitter about why Steve Kerr didn't call a timeout or why LeBron James left five minutes into, with, left into the fourth quarter, would you rather just never get an answer to that? Because the only, re the only way, I promise, the only way you ever get an answer to that is from the media asking questions after the game. And if the athletes can't handle that, then maybe they should consider a different career path because yeah. that's part of it. 
that comes with it is that accountability. That's why you get paid millions of dollars. You're that- talking consequence, right? Upsides and yeah. downsides, right? I, I would like to eat terribly every day, all day. And I can. You know what will happen? I'll get fat. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, upsides, downsides. The upside of media availability for all of these players is that it probably increases their contract by at least 10%, at least. The 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 personality, the celebrity that comes from the media frenzies that the NBA, for example, has created around their players is why the product is so damn successful. Well, if you're going to take advantage of that, then you also have to recognize there's going to be downsides. If you like answering the happy questions, unfortunately mm-hmm. enough, you got to go through you know, the, the, the invasive core questions as well. Uh, should we open it up to... Uh... I hope you just get trashed. I love that there's nasty comments. So, yes, absolutely. And open it up Please. to whoever wants to shithouse you because those are the um, people I want to hear from. Antonio uh, has been pretty active uh, talking crap about me. Go so, get him, Antonio. Antonio. You are more than welcome to to speak here, and, and we can have this conversation. But we'll go to Ty first. Ty, what's up, man? What's up, man? Thanks for waiting, oh, by the way. Head fake. Hey, what's going on, guys? Go what's on, up, Ty. Guys? Uh, appreciate it. It was real uh, – Real dope conversation. I think you made some really smart points. I think, you know, as a guy with a media job, like, I kind of have the, like, I have the perspective of, man, these people are just, like, workers trying to get their job done. And it's, like, a part of how the product gets. Like, we have, like, the NBA is not on tape delay anymore because David Stern was really smart with how he positioned, like, the media. Like, it's, it's just a part of it, and it's a necessary part of it. That's how we can all enjoy it. So, I mean, um I thought I thought it was an interesting discussion on that. Uh, well, I just want to make one point on on the Wiseman thing. I think we kind of got to like we kind of got to reset. I think on Wiseman, like he didn't know what he was doing, was bumbling around for most of the season, and still like averaged eleven and a half and six in like twenty minutes a game, and he like shot like seventy nine percent at the rim, which like guys like Gobert still haven't or like have only done like once. You know what I mean? So. I think the I, I'm fairly confident that by the time the playoffs roll around, he can be an eighth guy. Because if we're saying the JTA and Jordan Poole are the six and seven or seven and six, however you want to put it, would Wiseman as like a, a better version of JaVale McGee? Like, because his timing, he's so athletic. He, his timing doesn't have to be great for him to be effective defensively, right? Like, I just feel like he can get to – helpful i don't know by next year i I feel like it's that's almost a contrarian take now i don't know i think you're right ty um i would say he's probably a couple years away from getting to the point of being consistently helpful but i would i would probably lower it to maybe your ninth or tenth guy but i think you're you're spot on when you say hey just ask him to be javel mcgee next year off the bench you're a ninth or tenth guy you probably have to add if if jordan Poole, Juan Descano anderson i would say player x whoever that added player is whether it's for the draft, trade for agency that's your top eight then um Wiseman could certainly just be part of it but let's take the let's take the expectations down a peg right let's Kavon Looney has earned the starting I center agree. job he has absolutely earned it and to put anybody else in that position right now would be a slight to him and by the way to the rest of that starting lineup that thrived playing with him uh let Looney be your starter let Wiseman come off the bench for 12 to 15 minutes a game add probably a third big who probably doesn't play every night but you have in, you know, in certain situations and that's it. And I think Wiseman can do more with less time and less expectations. And I think that's absolutely what the Warriors should be doing. 
it's probably what's going to happen, right? Yeah. But I, th- I think the main question really, because I, nobody, if you listen to the trade Wiseman stuff, nobody is saying Wiseman isn't a player. Nobody. Even the, the people who are screaming trade him, generally speaking, hedge it with, he's going to be really good, but here's why. For me, it comes down to what do we owe Steph, maybe even more so, what do we owe Draymond? You know, over mm-hmm. under two years, two seasons, how much longer can Draymond Green be Draymond Green? You know, and I, I don't, I'm not sure I take the over on that. And if what we're now saying is the Warriors have two years to, to take advantage of Steph's greatness and Draymond's versatility, you know, what do we do? Do we do it on hoping, because that's what we're talking about, hoping that Wiseman can reach that? Or do we do it by bringing in a player that we know is going to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't, I don't think you're wrong, man. You know, the, the, in fact, it's that transition Golden State's hoping. You know, he goes from JaVale, to me, uh, JaVale McGee to Chris Bosh over like a three or four years, and he, they pass the baton. But I'm, that, I, I'm almost to the point where I want a guy who I know can do it as opposed to a guy I hope can do it. Well, don't you think that he would have to – well, just for trade values purposes, don't you think he would have to play into the deadline anyway to get the most value out of him? It's I don't know anymore. And Wes, let me let me throw this towards you, because, you know, there's the whole new car thing, right? The second you drive the new car off the lot, it, it's worth less. I don't know if Wiseman's upside is still viewed around the league as untapped, you mm-hmm. know, that we didn't get enough. We didn't see enough of him from this year where, like, maybe he could be really good and we just don't know. In which case, you know, him playing could actually take it down. Or, yeah, you're right. If, if he came out, showed the kind of growth that we would like to see um, during this offseason, you know, maybe maybe he increases his trade value. But Wes, I, I defer to you on that. What do you think? Well, I think the first thing any other front office would be looking at is his health coming off this meniscus tear is can this dude play? Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you were to trade Wiseman, it would probably have to be something near the deadline after after he comes back or, or maybe even just the beginning of the year, like a James Harden type of situation where you're traded like two or three weeks into the season. Um, and if there's another superstar or available player that shakes loose in that situation, then yeah, maybe Wiseman could be a part of that deal and be probably, you know, the blue chip prospect part of a potential package. But, um, with, with Wiseman still, there's a little bit of, you drove the car off the lot. I still, I think that Anthony Edwards probably helped his trade value. Lamelo ball probably helped his trade value. But even if you were to do a redraft of that draft, as good as some other guys played in that draft, I still think you take Wiseman three based on his upside. So instead of going number two, he goes number three. And that's that's good. That's still a, a valuable player. I still think that it's a valuable trade piece. Um, I just don't know that it's valuable enough right now, considering the injury and all that, and how, ba- how up and down his rookie year was, that you could get the type of player that you'd want to get for him. And it's why I keep going back to what probably ends up happening is he comes off the bench next year. You try to bring him along a little organically. I do think that there's some stubbornness on the front office's part and on ownership, not wanting to admit fault and admit a mistake here with Wiseman. Because if you can move one of these other picks that you have not yet used and get and get that kind of useful player that you're looking for, then you do it. Um, and, and you probably do that over over punting on James Wiseman right now. Uh, I, I the only way I see Wiseman getting traded, and I don't and and I agree with you, Bram. I think they should just trade him for somebody useful. It's more fair to the Warriors and Steph and Draymond. It's more fair to James Wiseman, who can go somewhere else where there's lower expectations and not uh, he doesn't and and he can develop more organically and at his own pace. But 
Um, I don't see that happening. And I think uh, they probably try to find that other. I think he comes off the bench. Kevon Looney starts. They add another center. And they go about improving the rest of this roster with these other draft picks, free agency, a Kelly Oubre sign and trade perhaps, and and the mid-level exception and veteran minimums and just try to make the most out of whatever that is. That's where I think it goes. What will be really interesting, I mean, one of the reasons why we all thought they needed Wiseman at two is because they needed size. Why do they need size? Because of the Lakers, right? I mean, that's the, the league had kind of shifted overnight. It'll be interesting to see if that analysis shifts if the Lakers shit the bed, if, if they get pushed out of this front round and there's some questions now about that front court, whether or not we still feel like we've got to be big or even just like you've been saying, Wes, a lineup that features someone like Loon at the center spot will be just fine. Well, I wonder what happens if Brooklyn wins this whole thing and how that dramatically changes front office's thinking because it goes from, hey, we need to have a top 10 defense to win a title to this defense could be garbage okay. and as long as you can score 120 points every night it doesn't matter does it make uh, me a bad person west that i hope that katie doesn't win another title i mean i'm just gonna say it into the mic i've been kind of like secretly <laughs> thinking it i'm just gonna say it man you know like it's not like he doesn't owe me anything he came here and and helped the warriors there there should be zero animosity but i'm a sick bastard and there is some animosity i i don't want them to win am i wrong does that make me a bad person no, not at all. You can friend. root against whoever you want to root against. Who would, you, <laughs> who would you rather, if you had to pick, one of these teams has to win the championship, the Lakers, the Clippers, or Brooklyn? Ugh, you bastard. Lakers. Is that literally – I mean, like I hope a, a, a comet comes down and crushes all three of those teams. I, I refuse to answer that. I, I do not like these selections, and I pick D, none of the above. I go with the Lakers just that LeBron Definitely finally surpasses Michael Jordan in everybody's minds. Jake, oh what's up, God. man? Oh, my God. Hey, uh, I just joined the room, so I don't know if he hasn't mentioned it yet, but I saw that Steve Kerr said there's going to be a coaching shakeup, so I just wanted to see what you guys thought is the reason for that and what specifically he might be looking for, maybe new offensive schemes or defense. Just what do you guys think about that? And that's a great question. I also want to point out that Wes is very clearly avoiding people who are going to shithouse him in the questions, which I thought was the whole theme of these questions, so that's kind of weird. Um, I, I saw. I invited – I invited Antonio to talk. He doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> sure. Sure you did, Wes. Um, Wes has better insight, so I'll sneak my, my point in quickly and then turn the mic. Um, but what I saw was they hadn't made any definitive decisions, and what Kerr wanted was, quote, a new voice in the, uh, in the locker room. So it doesn't sound like they're aiming at any particular coaching skills, you know, defense, offense, something like that. It sounds like they just right. want new blood. But, yeah, what do you think, Wes? Look, what's the reason for Coach K deciding he wanted to step down from Duke? <laughs> just Nobody saying. speaks to young players like Coach K. Uh, um, I think that you just have natural movement on this thing. I think what Steve Kerr – so Steve Kerr kind of falls into this trap a lot because he's so honest. But because he's so honest and he's so honest in a very different way than what we're used to hearing coaches how, – how coaches typically speak with media, um, it kind of gets overblown to this point where, hey, we need a coaching change. We need to shake up in the locker room and all this stuff. No, the fact of the matter is coaching benches change all the time, almost every year, and it's kind of like an unspoken thing like, yeah, we're going to make changes every single year to this coaching staff for the most part. I mean, the San Antonio makes changes all the time. Um, Miami makes changes all the time. Golden State has made changes every single year for the last three years, at least to their coaching staff. And that was, And I'm talking about after Luke Walton left and after some of these other guys left, right? 
Um, I think you're going to see Ron Adams continue to phase out. And so with that opens up a little bit more opportunity for other people. They've gotten, they've hired a lot of player development guys over the last couple of years. Maybe you see one of them elevate in rank in some way, shape or form. Jaron Collins could elevate in rank. You could see somebody get picked off and, and join another coaching staff somewhere else in order to get a promotion, right? There's a, there's a coaching vacancy in Boston right now. There looks to be coaching vacancies in other places potentially. Uh, there could be one in Portland by the end of this uh, first round of the playoffs. So, um, you know, that that could also happen. I think what Steve Kerr is putting voice to is the fact that, yeah, every year there's probably going to be changes. It's sort of inevitable. And that you can involve other perspectives and other voices. It doesn't strike me that Steve Kerr's voice is stale in that locker room or that anybody else's is. It just strikes me as sort of a natural pattern of the NBA and that we should just expect some sort of changes, whether it's an absence or an addition or something, you know, or both uh, this, this upcoming season. And, and this, this coaching staff has been evolving uh, very slowly since Steve Kerr got hired. When Steve Kerr got hired, it was very like veteran laden, very kind of like guys managing egos and all that stuff. And now with, with things shifting more towards development and those kinds of guys, you just need, a different skill set on that bench and some other, again, different voices, some younger voices perhaps, um, and other things like that. Hey, rewind the clock three seasons. Who was the coach du jour that everybody thought was, you know, top of the world you'd want running your franchise? Brad Stevens. You know, what's happening now? Brad Stevens is no longer going to be on the Boston bench. No right about that. You know, is being pushed off to the front office. And I think one of the reasons you'll hear him say it is, well, it's not that his message wasn't great. It's that it was stopped being received. You know, that, that they, they got tired of hearing the same stuff. And so adding in a new voice just in its own, like just literally just having something new, new rhythms, new cadence, um, mm-hmm. new opinions, it, there's value to it. Yeah. Lloyd Pierce is available there. Steve Kerr and Lloyd Pierce are very tight uh, from their time with Team USA, coaching Team USA. It could be something just like that, right? Um, we've seen guys like they haven't re- – like Steve Nash had been around the team. Tom Thibodeau was around the team last year. Right. Like that's this is all stuff that Steve Kerr's not, you know, he's he's very welcoming. The doors are pretty much open to people that he knows. And so it could just be something a little bit less, a little bit looser affiliated, something like that, like the Steve Nash type role, too. Uh, we should keep that in mind. Did you guys also see uh, Draymond said he really believes they're going to win a championship next year? So I don't know if he'd say that if he didn't believe they were going to make a big move, like if they're running it back. I think there's a hope they'll win it and they'll confident they'll make a run. But my belief is that he knows that something's going to go down. I don't think it's going to be a Beal trade. It could be, but I think there's going to be some pretty big moves made. What do you think? I love that he did that. I love that he's in the public eye. You know, I, I think he's on TNT because he has a, a career ahead of him as an analyst and a damn good one. But I think there's other stuff going on. We are, we are now in the world of player recruitment. And what you want to do is, is keep in the public eye. Have veterans think of you first, right? And the last one of the, the crap downsides of the two years the Warriors have recently had is that we're no longer at the top of free agent minds. The reason I'm saying this now is I love that Draymond is appearing on national TV. And I love that he is announcing to a prospective crop of free agents, hey, we got big shit coming. Look at us. You know, you, you may really want to consider coming here. So I, I, that might have as much to do with everybody believing us as it does with him believing in us. Um, 
look, we've we've had the conversation. We we kind of keep doing it about who could the Warriors get in a superstar trade or whatever. All right, let's not have that conversation. Instead, let's have this one. Who is number one on Draymond Green's call list? Because I agree with you, Bram. He is definitely in recruitment mode. Everything yeah. that he's done on TNT has been super calculated. Um, I've made this point before, but the look at where the Warriors are versus where they were three years ago. Where they were three years ago, they were the destination for ring-chasing veterans, right? The Lakers were not good. The Clippers were irrelevant. The Brooklyn Nets were not good. The New York Knicks were not good. The Miami Heat were just a fringe playoff team and had not yet made the Jimmy Butler trade. Um, If you look at the coastal elite teams, the Warriors were the only team that was good. They were going to five straight finals, and they were the – if you wanted to live in a beautiful city and go and chase a ring uh, and get all the attention that comes with that, the Warriors were kind of the only place for you. And now it's quite the opposite. The Lakers are coming off of uh, a championship. The Clippers are contenders. Uh, The Knicks are back in the playoffs. Brooklyn is a title favorite. Miami just came off of an NBA Finals appearance, even though they just got swept in the first round. Um, Like, all the Coastal Elite teams are in the playoffs, and the Warriors are not. They're the one team that is not. It's completely flipped. It's going to be really hard for them. So Draymond Green, I think you're exactly right, Bram. It's very calculated what he is doing. He's trying to even the playing field here. Uh, If you are – so I'll go back to the original question here. If you're Jamon Green, who's number one on your call list? I got a name. Player is cuttable. I got a name for you that 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 sprung to me as you were saying that, um, and it would require the Lakers collapse to continue. Andre Drummond. If let let's say they they completely phase out here, because what happened in that? Andre last Drummond year? is number one on Draymond's list. No, no, Draymond I'm not saying he's number. I'm just just giving you names they could bring in. I mean, I don't know who number one on on. Well, that was uh, my Draymond. question. I asked you who number one was. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't have a psychic link with Draymond. I can't immediately go into that and tell you who he would want. I'm giving you Bram's number one. I would. I didn't ask for Bram's number one. I asked for Draymond's number one. Okay, well then this is. I actually I just got a text. It's weird. I just got a text from Draymond Green, and he suggests Andre Drummond. What do you think? about that <laughs> then if if the warriors answer is getting andre drummond then i don't think they're winning another finals <laughs> who's your response utilize your psychic link with draymond who does he want i think if he's texting Pascal, i'm not gonna take a while no i think he's i think he goes Ricky like Williams? number one you gotta take the temperature there's two guys hey damien you still want to do this in portland do you know what the definition of insanity is, Damien? No way. There's no way. He's Number one, you die. if you're Draymond to... Green, you have to try. I'm not talking about gettable stars. That's not the point of this question. The framing is, if you're Draymond Green, oh well, sure, then who I'll are you texting? Yannis. No, I don't think he texts. I don't think he texts Giannis. I think he's texting. I think the first one is Damian Lillard. I think it's the first one. He goes, hey, he's looking at what's happening in Brooklyn. He's like, I'm a better defender than anybody that the Nets have. You put Damian Lillard and Steph on one team with Clay coming back. We've got an offense just as good as the Nets, and our defense will still be great because I'm here, which we can agree or disagree on that, but that's his thinking. Um, I think Damian Lillard is number one on his list, and he's. Te- I, I would be shocked. I'm not reporting this. I'm just saying it absolutely has definitely happened that he is absolutely texting Damian as soon as their first-round series is over and, and, the, and the Trailblazers just get knocked out. I and love that. I love it. I, Oakland I kid. Draymond texted me, Andre, but you know that's I'm I'm on board. I think he's just he's trying to swerve you. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to let it out right now. I think Kawhi. I think Kawhi would be on his list. <coughs> you super happy in L.A., Kawhi? What's going on there? Come to uh, come to the Warriors now. It's impossible for it to happen. The Warriors don't have cap space and they can't create that cap space. 
uh, unless the Clippers are super interested in a Andrew Wiggins sign and trade, which I don't think they are. Um, then um, maybe something like that. Paul George, like Ben Simmons. Does he go down the Ben Simmons rabbit hole? Yeah. I, mean, I think what you, what you go for is superstars who have yet to, you know, taste playoff success, real playoff success. I mean, that would be the pitch to Lillard. That would be the pitch to Simmons. You know, have we can give you something here that the rest of the league cannot. Let's make you a household name in a way that you have never experienced, you know, um, and, and we can blaze that path for you. Does Damon Lillard make them a championship contender? Sure, yes. In, in almost instantaneous. I mean, there's some obvious crossover immediately. Um, and I mean, there's a better chance of Magic Johnson hopping in a time machine and suiting up for the Warriors, I think, than Damian Lillard, only because of all the stuff he's come out and said about super teams and he wants to build it on his own. But if he joins, yes, man, I, I think that we'd be immediately a contender. Jake asks for Reggie Bullock. Do you, how high is Reggie Bullock on uh, Draymond's list? Like probably like three behind behind Ben Simmons and Damian Lillard. It's like then it's like Reggie Bullock and then we got it. <laughs> How about Ricky um, Williams? Do you know if he's interested at all in bringing him in? California has laws that would be helpful to Ricky <laughs> Williams. Uh, so he came back. He ran the Wildcat for the Dolphins for a couple of years. That was a lot of fun. You remember that? So, you remember that? You know? You remember that, Bram? I, you know, shockingly, I do, and even more shockingly, <laughs> I do not want to talk about it. Carl <laughs> um, Anthony Towns. We got that one in the chat. Uh, I'm on all of these names. I mean, I, I had some other Wiseman trades I can even run by it, but let's not do it now because we're already 60 minutes deep and we should, okay. probably, uh, should probably save some bullets in the chamber for next week. We got James Wiseman trades every week. Uh, all right, that'll do it for us today. You can hear this podcast again over at Warriors Huddle. I'm assuming you're going to put it up, Ram. Um, Locked on Warriors as well. Thank you to Ty. Thank you to Jake for uh, coming on and talking with us. Thanks to all for listening and hearing us. Uh, chat about the Warriors and uh, letting and and letting me allowing me to go long on Naomi Osaka the way that I had been planning to this entire time. So, um, for those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, not live via locker room, and you'd like to be involved next week, we do these on Thursdays, twelve o'clock. Obviously, we'd love to have your questions. Easiest way to do that: hop up on the App Store, whatever kind of phone you have, download Locker Room, look up. Both Wes and I. Wes, what's your handle on Locker Room? Uh, the same as, as it is everywhere else, at WC Goldberg. Boom. I'm at Warriors Huddle. And then once you have that set up, you can join us, fire off questions. And once you do that, make sure you take some shots at Wes. I mean, just as many as you can. And shit, hopefully we'll see you guys next week. See you guys next week. I got to text back Draymond now, so I got to go. <laughs> take it easy, Wes. Good, good. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret 
and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.